And good Sunday morning to you. Good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. Uh, I know we're uh, we're not in the same room as as rightly so. Uh, I, I guess it was I won't call it gallows humor, but earlier this morning when I was having a little breakfast, my wife came downstairs and said, uh, uh, "Have a safe driving trip this morning." Jokingly. Yeah, seriously, I'm it's at home. not exactly it's not exactly a very long commute. I won't tell you uh, and all the listeners, except I'm about to, how long ago I woke up. You know, it's not like I been up for two hours and had my breakfast and coffee and drove down to the WCCO studios. I'm literally at my home this morning <laughs> and uh, doing it like so many other people are doing uh, uh, online and on, on TV and on radio. We're doing it from our secure remote locations, which is the right thing to do. But if I could just say, I miss seeing the gang down at the studio. I miss seeing you in face, Denny and Dennis down there running the show. And yeah, it, it is a whole... News. Very, very surreal, very different feeling for sure. Uh, maybe uh, I want to invite our listeners certainly to to ask the questions. We're, we have an earlier start now. We want to fill you in on more, more and more information each week. If you have a question for the doctor, and I know there will be a lot of COVID-19 questions, but we'll take other questions as well. This is an open line show. Call in or text in, same number, 651-989-9226 for either the phone call or uh, if you have a text message. For Dr. Hilden. And Dr. Could you maybe uh, fill us in since we spoke last week about any updates you might have, any other information? Sure, Denny. Um, and and thank you for uh, for um, allowing us to do uh, some some uh, more COVID instruction. Um, I, I like what you just said, though. If you if listeners do have questions about other things, that would be OK as well. I know it'll probably be mostly COVID types of things. But I read in the Oh, a paper, a national uh, media outlet that that some people are perhaps not seeking care when they probably need to for things that are not related to this uh, this awful virus. So it is still true that sometimes if you're if you're having other severe health care problems, your chest pain or you can't breathe or you're having bleeding from somewhere, sometimes you're going to have to go in anyways. And I think the public ought to know that our our hospitals and emergency departments are still there for all of you, even with those non-COVID-related issues. And in fact, especially for those, uh, um, if you have a serious medical problem, um, you should go in and be seen. Um, we do have the same recommendation for if you have a more mild type of respiratory illness, a mild, you know, a fever and, and a cough and you're otherwise doing okay, it's still safer to stay home, stay home for those. But don't, don't fail to get care if you're seriously ill. That's still important. A little update from the hospital and from the state. Uh, Minnesota saw a pretty decent jump in cases yesterday, up to 865. Um, we are doing pretty well with our hospital capacity in Minnesota, and and I think we're this week, the next week are going to be probably some um, the, the the true test as we start to ramp up our our number of people that need to be in the hospital. We've been unfortunately lost some 24 Minnesotans so far to this. That's 24 people that um, are all individuals with human stories and faces. And and I I sometimes cringe to talk about numbers so much because these are real people. These are somebody's mom or dad or sister or brother and um, all valuable in and of themselves. So 
we are sad to have lost um, some 24 Minnesotans thus far. That number is relatively small so far, and it will undoubtedly get larger in the next few weeks. This week, and we really focused at the Hennepin on, on surge planning. We've been talking about the surge for weeks now, but uh, we're really focusing now on surge planning, not only at our own hospital, but across the metro region, and not even the metro region, across Minnesota. We're on daily phone calls with other hospital systems and regional and statewide planning to, de- to decide how we're going to handle a rapid influx of patients. And I know at my hospital, we have plans to double our ICU uh, bed capability. Throughout the hospital, we're repurposing rooms. We're planning on staffing for those rooms. We're planning on what equipment do we need so that we'll be able to virtually double, not virtually, in reality, double the number of patients we can see in our intensive care. So I'm I, although I know we're going to get thousands and thousands of more cases in Minnesota, I am cautiously optimistic, and I am really confident in the planning process that's happening in this state. It seems to be exemplary for how a state ought to do it, and so I'm really, um, I'm really um, cautiously optimistic that we're going to really have a, a good, a good capacity to handle things in the coming weeks because. Things are going to get worse in the next few weeks. That's that's a near certainty. But uh, people should know that in Minnesota we have planning that is so extensive um, that that uh, we'll be we'll be ready to go. That's good to hear. If you have uh, a, 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 any kind of a question, I know it'll be a lot of it, like uh, Dr. Hilden said, mostly about COVID-19 today. But if you have any other general health questions for the doctor, this is an open line show. Text it or call it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. We we are getting a bunch of text messages, Dr. Hilden, but I know there are some folks interested in some websites that you want to uh, tell us about. Yeah, thanks, Denny. Uh, People ask, probably the number one question we're getting asked now is, do you need masks? Well, the the short answer is, oh, yes, do we need masks? Um, We have... uh, Medical grade masks, which uh, of course the hospital uses in in the building, we we control those things at central location, so they're highly coveted at the hospital, if you will. We're doing a great job of making sure that people who need them, nurses, doctors, um, respiratory therapists, everybody who's in with a patient has the correct personal protective equipment. But as everybody should know by now, that is in short supply. It's not uh, a happy story, um, but we have enough for now. We're doing okay, actually, um, but we don't have enough to use it willy-nilly. So we are conserving that. We are being good stewards of a limited resource. Many people probably know that the CDC has now recommended that the general public, when you're out and about, the recommendation is now to wear a non-medical grade mask. Those masks are okay for everybody to wear, but those are also not just growing from trees. And so many people are asking about how do we donate them? I can sew. How do we make them? So if you, we do have a website for this very purpose. It's at hennepinhealthcare.org. That's the main site. And from there, you can get to anywhere to talk about um, COVID-related things, including how to make visits, how to donate to the hospital, how to leave a thank you note. There's even tips about how to cope with anxiety. But the, the, the 
portion of the site I want to encourage people to look at is the homemade masks portion. There is a button you can click right on the front page of hennepinhealthcare.org. There are videos on how to make masks. There are patterns, an approved pattern, because you can't just slap it together. It has to. There's a way to do it. So there's patterns. There's videos on how to do it. There's information about how to drop off your masks at the hospital. We're collecting those masks both on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, between 11 and 1 p.m., and there's a little map where you can drop them off. There's a phone number, a mailing address if you prefer to mail them, because as we all know, we're not supposed to be out and about. So dropping them off is a little challenging. So you can mail them as well. All of that is at hennepinhealthcare.org. You can either click the button that says homemade masks, or you can type it into your your search screen, hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash homemade masks. And you'll get lots more information about how to do that there. I'll give that website again later in the show as well, Denny. um, And uh, that's a a common thing that people want to know what you can do. We wear the masks just like you would in the community. We don't wear them in patient rooms or on patient care units. We only wear medical masks there. But the homemade masks, we do. people can wear just walking in non-patient care areas of the hospital. You know, the cafeteria, the lobbies, the, um, all those places. And that is a decent idea for everybody to do. I would recommend that when you go to the grocery store, you do that as well. All right, very good. Tell you what, let's take a break. And as we head to this quick break, we invite our listeners to join in. If you have a, a general health question, it uh, could be about the virus, whatever you can uh, bring to us, either by phone or by text. Same number, 651-989-9226. 29 degrees in the Twin Cities. But by Tuesday, we could uh, possibly hit 70 or near it. You stay tuned to News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. If you have a general health question for the doctor, it could be about the virus or any other topic. Uh, 651-989-9226. That's the phone call number and also the text number. Well, Dr. Hilden, I know we have a bunch of texts already, but folks have been waiting on the line. Let's uh, grab a call or two if we can. Nancy, I believe, is calling from Bloomington this morning. Thank you, Nancy. What's your question for the doctor? Yes, I was wondering um, why is having diabetes put you at risk like the over 70 does, and there's a few other things, too. Could you tell me that? Great question, Nancy. So diabetes, uh, Nancy, that is a great question. Diabetes is one of those conditions that affects so much about the way your body metabolizes your whole metabolic system. It is not clear exactly to uh, medical scientists yet why diabetes would make uh, make you more likely to get this respiratory illness. Um, And so I can't give you a real specific answer about that. We just don't know enough about this particular um, infection. It's just too new for us. But it is a definite truth um, that people with diabetes in for other infectious problems are at somewhat higher risk. It affects almost everything in your in your body. So we put diabetes as well as chronic heart disease, like um, heart failure. We put that into this group. We put in people with chronic lung diseases like emphysema, COPD, asthma. Uh, these are issues that make you either more susceptible to get it or 
if you do get it, you're more susceptible to have a more serious um, outcome from it. So although I can't give you the specific reasons why, Nancy, it is a, a recommendation that people with diabetes take do the same things we're asking everybody else to do, but really, truly take them to heart. The, the issues about social distancing, the issues about washing your hands, um, staying far away from people, staying home. People with diabetes would be well advised to, to follow those quite closely. Very good. Thank you, Nancy. We'll get back to the phones, but we have a bunch of text messages, Doctor. Here's one uh, that came in earlier. Could the, the virus, uh, COVID-19, burn out or mutate again? It definitely could. Uh, it's not clear um, yet whether coronavirus is going to be like seasonal flu, which comes, it doesn't come and go, but it really gets lesser in the warmer um, summer months. It's not clear whether this, this is going to do that, but there's a lot of reasons to believe that this coronavirus will act like other coronaviruses. Keep in mind, it's a large family of viruses, it, uh, the, the coronavirus family is. And so we just don't know enough about its behaviors. What we do know is that this one passes more readily than other ones, and it causes well more serious illness than other coronaviruses. It's much more lethal. It's much more lethal than, say, influenza, um, uh, and it passes quite readily. So we just don't know. It easily could mutate, however. And that's why we have to get an annual flu shot, for instance, because the, that darn virus is a little bit different every year. And so we have to keep getting a, 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 a vaccine every single year. That's unlike things like, well, measles, where you can get one, one or two shots when you're a child and you're good for the rest of your life. This one is likely to mutate, um, although I'm speculating there. We simply don't know enough about it yet. I think it's probably quite likely, however. Yeah. Texture says this, and this may affect a lot of people around here, uh, says this, we are snowbirds in Fort Myers planning to return to Minneapolis in early May. Would it be safer to drive three days and two overnights or fly three hours on nonstop flight to Minneapolis or stay put until the situation settles down? This is the question that I think has been on our minds almost as much as any other one. <laughs> After should we wear a mask is how do I travel if I need to? such as this texter, uh, it, there is no clear answer to that. Many of my physician colleague friends have, have been bantering this about because their parents are in the same thing or their, their family members. The, the driving cross-country presents considerable risks. Every time you get gas, every time you, you go to a truck stop, a rest stop, a restaurant, uh, it might not be open. And even if it is, you have to touch many surfaces. So the consensus in my friendship group, which is based on absolutely no science whatsoever, is that it might be a little bit safer to fly. Um, uh, and if you do, take, take wipes, take masks, wipe down everything you come in contact with on that airplane. If you drive, do the same thing. Wipe down the gas pumps, the handle, every door handle before you touch it. Wash your hands every 20 minutes, every hour. On the airplane, wipe down the seats, the, the, the screen, the tray table, the, the armrest. Wipe everything down. One thing about airplanes is that uh, you are probably, I think this is well established, you are probably not at a much higher risk on the airplane than in other places. And in fact, you might, the, the air, the inside the airplane is probably quite okay. Most flights use HEPA filters. And if you're not sitting right next to somebody who's coughing, 
and I understand the airplanes aren't all that full right now, if you're not next to somebody's coughing, the air in the airplane itself, I'm talking about the air, is probably not um, any more unsafe than it would be in any other enclosed place. It's the surfaces that are the problem. So sure. flying or driving, it's almost a flip of a coin. We don't have good evidence. Should you come back at all is the whole question. I think um, – I guess I won't be able to answer that. It depends if you're of near facilities um, in Florida um, or are there healthcare facilities nearby? Are you able to adequately shelter in place in Florida? If you're able to, you might want to ride it out um, until the summer. Sure. The, the less travel you can do, the better. The better. I think we have time to grab a phone call before uh, we take a quick break. Uh, Maddie uh, is calling from Coon Rapids. Go ahead, Maddie. Hi, my question, thank you for taking my call. My question is, these homemade masks they're saying you can drop off at the hospital. How do you know that they are safe and free from the virus? And also, what about things you bring into the house, like your mail, your newspaper, or your groceries? Do you just wipe all that stuff down? And is clothing safe? All good questions. The masks, the homemade masks are not medical grade and are not likely to protect the wearer, the person wearing it from getting the virus. That is true. When you're wearing a homemade mask around the community, the main reason you're doing that is in case you are carrying the virus, because homemade masks are probably, probably effective at at reducing your chance of giving it to somebody else. It's actually a sort of an altruistic act to wear the homemade mask. Um, so it will not protect you very much from getting the virus from somebody else, unfortunately. The best it'll do for you probably is to keep you from scratching your nose. And that's a great thing. So we do recommend it to prevent spread, but it is not a particularly effective way to prevent yourself from getting it. As for all the other things, I do wipe down our groceries, to be honest. I have a, we have jugs of wipes at home, and I do wipe down the milk carton and everything we've touched at the grocery store. It sounds silly, but we do it at my household. Your mail, your newspaper, you can't really wipe those down. I, I, and you have, to have, you have to still live. So I would get your mail, get your newspaper, get the boxes delivered to you, and simply wash your hands very frequently after touching things that came into your house. All right, for the next 60 seconds or so, Doctor, why don't you give their website again for those that uh, that uh, missed it earlier this morning? Absolutely. If you want to donate masks, if you want a, a, a sewing pattern even for how to, don't, how to make a mask, go to HennepinHealthCare.org and click on the Homemade Masks button. You can also click on the Donate button. You can click on the Thank You button. There's all kinds of information at HennepinHealthCare.org. Uh, you could do that today. And there's also information about how to drop off masks and the mailing location as well. org. Maybe for about 30 seconds, uh, a texter wanted to know what kind of a filter, what, what could somebody place into a homemade mask that would make it maybe more effective? Do you have any idea? I don't. I don't think that that would probably work. Um, uh, the only way to do it is to have a, a fully medical-grade sealed mask. These N95 masks people hear about, we actually get them tested to make sure it seals around our face. Mm-hmm. So they, they have to be fitted, actually, to be totally effective. So I don't think there's probably a filter you could put in to make them more effective on the homemade mask uh, on, on that side. Um, they're pretty good for keeping your breathing, your coughing, the stuff that you – the um, to come out when you're wearing them. So 
uh, just a, a cloth mask is probably all, all, all that you need to do for the homemade variety. Very good. Well, let's take a break, Doctor. We have a reminder to our listeners, a whole other hour of Healthy Matters. If you did not get in the first half hour here, call in or text in your question, 651-989-9226. That applies to both the phone call and the uh, text message itself. Right now, 29 degrees, fair skies. Stay with us. And good morning once again. If you're just joining us, thank you for doing so. We are beginning our show earlier now on Sunday mornings because there's so much more information to pass along to you. Uh, 6.30 is our starting time, so keep that in mind for uh, future reference. If you do have any kind of a general health question for the doctor, this is an open line show. Your chance to do that, either by phone or by text, 651-989-9226. Uh, we have uh, callers. We have textures, Dr. Hilden. Is there anything you want to mention before we get underway? Well, yeah, let, let me just uh, say a couple more things. Thanks, Denny. Good morning to everybody. I've been giving our hospital's website if you are interested in some homemade mask information, including how to sew them, patterns to sew them, videos on how to sew them. I'm impressed at all the people who can sew. Uh, I can't. So thank you for that, for that uh, gift that you're giving to the community. At the hospital, we will use them well. Uh, we will pass them out to employees to wear in the non-patient care areas. We will give them to vulnerable people who might need one for the community. So uh, thank you for your donations of masks. Go to HennepinHealthCare.org, and you'll see a button to press uh, to learn about that, including how to drop them off. A couple other things. Um, it, it's funny how in a pandemic people are hungry for information, and so the the number of people on my Twitter feed has gone way up. So if you are um, interested in following me on Twitter, uh, that is Dr. David Hilden. Uh, that is one way people get real quick, small little bits of information. It's Dr. David Hilden. The DR stands for doctor, even though those are also my first two initials. Dr. David Hilden. And then lastly. Um, I am resuming the blog at myhealthymatters.org. I've been doing what I call a diary, and about every three or four days, two or three or four days, I'm putting a little very brief entry about what it's like to practice medicine and to help to run a large uh, urban hospital system. So that's at myhealthymatters.org. You'll see all the doctor's diary entries. I've done three or four of them. And you are welcome to subscribe by email if you want to get a little brief notification when I've put a new one up there. It's sort of a little inside baseball. If you want to learn what it's like um, from my perspective, I invite you to go to myhealthymatters.org. All right, that's the housekeeping business, I think, Danny. All right, very good. Six five Our number is 651-989-9226. And again, that applies to both the phone call or if you'd rather send the doctor your text. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. We have a bunch of text messages, but uh, Doctor, folks have been hanging on the line as well. Diana, I believe, is first up. You're calling from Hutchinson. Diana, you're on with the doctor. Good morning, gentlemen. My question is about testing. Um, like, if there's small towns in Minnesota, are we getting testing? Um, question: There is testing available. Throughout the country, not to the degree we'd like, that is slowly getting better. The test that most small towns would be using in hospitals throughout Minnesota and the upper Midwest will use what's called a reference lab, which means they'll do the swab at your location and then they will send it to a reference lab, which is just a large either public or commercial laboratory. For instance, the Minnesota Department of Health is a large public lab 
Mayo has a lab. That's a commercial reference lab um, at, at our friends down at Mayo. Our hospital was sending tests to Utah and to Kansas to large reference labs. That's why it took so long to get them back. It took four, five, six, maybe even seven days. And that is still what is the case for much of the country. We are fortunately now starting to do some in-house testing. My hospital has an extremely competent laboratory because we've done this for years under the direction of a gentleman that I wish every Minnesota could meet. His name is Glenn Hansen. He is an absolute gem of an expert in laboratory medicine. And so at Hennepin Healthcare, we indeed do um, in-house testing, but that is only for the same people we were doing it before. In other words, we're not taking people just randomly coming in to be tested. We are still doing it based on very strict criteria, though. So we're doing it faster, but we're not doing a lot more quantity of testing, if that makes sense. So we get our results on the same day. It doesn't take a week anymore, but it doesn't, we're not testing people. So you can't just walk in and get a test. We're limiting it to healthcare workers, people with symptoms, and contacts of people who have COVID. I have a dream, as do we all, that we'd be able to test a whole bunch more people. That is um, I just a little editorializing has been the major problem with our national responses, our failure to test over the last two months. It's not something that I, I'm happy about, but it's the reality, and we're working hard to, to, to increase testing. It's a great question, and I would appreciate your question. Um, the, the one test that might come out is a blood test to see if you had it. That, that is an easier test to do. It's a simple little blood test, and uh, look for more on that in the near future. All right, very good. Uh, Texter uh, I'm reading uh, brings up a topic that I've been hearing about lately. It says this, doctor, you talk about wearing masks while out in the stores, etc. Could you please inform people why wearing gloves is not necessary and can actually spread germs? Uh, is that true? Well, if you were, it, it is partially true. If you just put your gloves on and then you're touching everything, the virus is going to be on your gloves. And so the next thing you touch isn't going to help. You're going to just, it's going to be just a way to pass it from one thing to the next. If you do it right, it might help. In other, in other words, I mean, I mean, the ideal, if you had medical grade box of gloves in your car and you took an, off a new pair every time you touch something, that would be helpful. But that isn't what people are doing. So if you're wearing gloves, you need to wash them like any other clothing. And you're just putting it from one thing to the next. The, the, so it does not, it has not been shown that wearing like your, your winter gloves or some driving gloves is going to help you all that much. Um, far better is washing your hands after you touch any surface. Bring alcohol-based gel with you or wash your hands with soap and water, which is even better. The gloves aren't going to do a whole lot. If you, I guess if you did it really, really vigilantly. You you put on that pair of gloves and you took them off and then you didn't use them to touch some other surface. It could work, but it's too complicated. And so that is not one of the recommendations um, that we are giving that people wear gloves. Very good. Let's go back to the phones. I think Brian is calling from Minneapolis, I do believe. Brian, you're on CCO. Hi, good morning. Um, are there ways that we can improve our own immune system? There um there are, but they are that are there are none that are proven in this situation. So there are some general things that are good for your immune system, such as 
getting a good night's sleep. I'm convinced about that. Um, I'm not always getting great night's sleep during all of this stuff because we have some long days. And the day after I don't get a good night's sleep, even with all else being equal, I don't feel I, I don't feel as good. And it is well known, it is well known that a good night's sleep is good for the body's health. Um, and so that's one thing I would suggest. Uh, eating right, exercising, um, uh, those would be things that are good for your immune system. Are there things that you can take? Nothing that's proven. Some people think vitamin C might help a little bit. It's not going to hurt, but um, it, it's also known that taking a lot of vitamin C, it just goes into the toilet when you urinate because it, 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 you, you, your body gets rid of it, the excess. But that won't hurt if you want to take some vitamin C. There is some suggestion that zinc lozenges might do a little bit of good um, for reasons that escape me, but there is some some promise about that. So you might want to do that. None of those are proven but they probably wouldn't hurt. The sleep one is, that one is, that's the one I would recommend the most. Get a good night's sleep, exercise, and eat right. Before we take a quick break, a text that came in, I think is a good question. I understand it says the reason for not touching your mouth and nose since they lead to the lungs, but why the eyes? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Think about it, though. Your eyes have little ductworks that connect to your system. Um, what happens when, you, uh, when you're crying? for instance. You get sniffly nose. They are kind of connected, aren't they? There's little holes in your eyes that we don't even barely see. Um, but uh, it is a known route of entry. So no eye touching, nose touching, or mouth touching. They're all kind of connected. The one thing that is probably safe to touch is your ear because it is not connected to your respiratory system unless you have a hole in your eardrum. Then it too is connected to your respiratory system. So mm -hmm. the eyes, can't touch them either. All right. Very good. Hang on, doctor. We'll uh, take a quick break here, inviting our listeners to join in. If you have a question, you can call it in or text it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. Right now, the Twin Cities, 29 degrees. We're heading to near 56 later here on News Talk A3OWCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. We get underway every Sunday morning now at 6.30, so keep that in mind. Another open line show getting you a chance to ask Dr. Hilden your general health question. Could be about the virus, could be about anything, as a matter of fact, this morning. 651-989-9226. We'll get you the phone call and the text message to the doctor as well. Tell you what, we have so many text messages, Dr. Hilden, but I think we have callers as well uh, hanging on the line. Let's do a pick up a call or two first. Catherine, I believe, is first up. You're calling from Blaine. Catherine, you're on with Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Dr. Hilden and Jenny. Thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, my daughter is, she'll be 40. And a couple, well, this has been now, you know, about a couple weeks ago. She went in to have, to be tested for the COVID-19. Of course, they didn't have tests at that time. And uh, she was told to go back home, although she had a fever, she had shortness of breath, she had all the symptoms. So she was able to come out of it. Now, um, would she possibly be um, a candidate to get this test to see if she had it? Hi, Catherine. Um, thanks for your call. And uh 
And yes, um, she is a potential candidate. That is the type of thing that I think we'll probably be doing in a matter of maybe a few months. We'll be doing it more widespread. But they're already testing such a test even even today in some places. They're developing it here at the University of Minnesota and at Mayo, I'm aware of. Uh, that test looks for antibodies. And an antibody is sort of like the evidence that your body has been in contact with whatever the bug is, in this case, coronavirus. Your body is exquisitely good at mounting a defense. It can't do it immediately because it's never seen coronavirus. And that's sort of the crux of why this is such a worldwide phenomenon, that there is no one of the 8 billion of us on planet Earth whose body has ever seen it before. So nobody's body has any antibodies floating around in it. Let's just say for a second that your daughter had it. She got better, as do most people. And then in a week or 10 days, maybe two or three weeks, those antibodies start to form in her bloodstream. The blood test, it's not a nose swab, it's a blood test, would find the presence of those antibodies. And that would be evidence that she had it in the past and then presumably that she is somewhat protected. And so those people if they if they had those antibodies, could probably re-enter society with a little more confidence than those who didn't have the antibodies. They could go to their jobs. They could go, we could reopen the community more if we knew that enough people had those antibodies. So it's very, very promising. That's real. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do those tests. It's just not quite out there as of yet. The other kind of funny thing about those antibodies is that it might have a treatment possibility. Because if you bear with me for a minute here, if her body, if Catherine's daughter's body were to have made those antibodies and and protect her, you could you could take that and say, what if we gave those antibodies to somebody else? Well, those antibodies could protect a second person as well. And so it is potentially a treatment. We're way too soon to be doing that now. But that's a potential treatment option that is um, very promising. And um, stay tuned on that. That's, that's one of the most exciting, in my opinion, um, developments in this whole pandemic is the test for those who have already had it. Mm, right. Texter says this, Dr. Hilden, uh, I have a 54-year-old daughter just diagnosed with multiple sclerosis who works with the public on a daily basis. Is she more at risk because of the MS? Specifically about MS, I don't know. Uh, I, I would say prob- if she has respiratory complications of her multiple sclerosis, if she's having trouble breathing at baseline, if she, if she is susceptible to pneumonias and the like at baseline, then she'd probably be at higher risk. One of those chronic neurologic diseases like MS is not, there's just simply no, we don't know. We don't know one way or the other uh, because uh, this is so new. So we don't know whether she, the MS itself makes her at higher risk. So for her, I would say, especially since she's with the public, is to try not to be with the public as much as you can. Wear masks if you can and wash your hands as much as you possibly can. Here's a basic question. What's so different, Texter says, about the COVID-19 virus than other viruses? Yeah, um, it's because it's brand new. Um, Last Halloween or Thanksgiving, I had never heard of this virus, nor had anybody else who walks planet Earth. (laughs) 
Yeah, the coronavirus is not a new family of viruses. In fact, one of the sources of confusion at my hospital about two months ago was that we've been testing for some coronaviruses for years. It is a virus that causes the common cold. This coronavirus, is, it had a new mutation. It was new. So this particular coronavirus is brand new as of November or so. At least that's when we started to know about it. And because of that, no human on Earth had any immunity to it. That's why it's able to pass. And this one just so happens to be quite dangerous. Um, it's much more lethal than other viruses, um, for instance, influenza. Um, and so that's why this one's um so it's causing this pandemic. It is that nobody on earth has any immunity to it. There will come a day, I don't know when, a few years from now, when we have what's called herd immunity, like a herd of cows, that when enough people on earth have been exposed to it and survived and their antibodies are floating around in their bloodstream protecting us, there will come a day when enough people had, had this that it will be a less of a problem. That day is some years away, though. We need 80, 90 percent of the population to have been infected, and then we will have had herd immunity. Hmm. And that, that day is somewhere in the distant future, though. Let's go back to the phones, Doctor. I believe Marianne is still with us calling from Richfield. Marianne, you're on with the doctor. Uh, hello. Thank you for your good advice. Um, I w went to the fabric store yesterday, and a long line of us was waiting at a safe distance to go in and speaking about making masks. And uh, found out the fabric store was closed because it's considered non-essential. And it would have been nice even if they would have put tables out there with fabric. Also, one lady said a vacuum filter would work fine for the mask. So I was just wondering. Yeah, Marianne. The, the fabric store issue, I, I was reading about that as well, because it would be great to have people who can sew and are willing to make masks to do so. And so uh, that I, I share that kind of, it's a conundrum, isn't it? Because having people who are able to sew all go to the fabric store is not a good idea. On the other hand, it would be great for you to get some fabric. <laughs> So uh, I, I do. I think that's a good call to action by the, our manufacturers and our suppliers of fabric is to not have your stores open, but to have some pickup method that might be a, 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 akin to like carry out at a restaurant where we can keep people safe because we don't want people to, to put themselves at risk just to get fabric. Uh, so mail order, if you can order it online delivery services or if you can send out your 20-year-old granddaughter um, to the store and have her put on a mask and pick it up for you, um, those would be um, probably good uh, good things to do. And for those of you who want to make masks, I can tell you where to donate them, hennepinhealthcare.org. There's a button on how to donate masks. There's even a pattern for those of you who sew because there's a good way to do it and a not so good way. So we even have patterns and videos at hennepinhealthcare.org. Just click the button that says homemade masks. Very good. We'll give you that uh, before the doctor leaves us today. Hang on, Dr. Hilden. We have another half hour of the show to go. 651-989-9226. 29 degrees here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hi, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Uh, another reminder, if you're just joining us, we are beginning our show now at 6.30 Sunday mornings. 
getting you a chance to call in or text in your questions for Dr. David Hilden. Here's the number, same number for both, 651-989-9226. Dr. Hilden, did you want to say anything, or shall we uh, get to the phones and texts? Well, we could get to the phones uh, uh, and answer as many questions as we can. Very good. We'll do that very thing. Judy is first up here calling from uh, Roseville. Judy, you're on with the doctor. Good morning, doctor. Thank you for your time. My question is about the long-term effects and on my lungs. If I were to get COVID ID or COVID-19, I mean, and I have uh, mild asthma, is there anything that would happen afterwards to the condition of my lungs or would there be symptoms that I would experience afterwards in the long term? Thank you. That's a great question, Judy, and um, thank you for your call. We simply don't know uh, about long-term effects that because it hasn't been around long enough. But if it acts like other viruses of its family, I think it is. there's nothing to suggest that you're going to get long-term scarring or other problems um, in your lungs. But I have to say that with a great deal of qualification that we simply don't know. The problem that is making some people succumb to this disease is that they get a condition called um, ARDS, or Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. This is a condition in which your lungs are not are not full of air, they're full of fluid, and they, they can't aerate. They, they can't move oxygen in and out, and so they succumb to that relatively quickly. In the absence of that, your, your lungs can clear out viruses and, and, and fluid fairly well. So we don't have any current evidence about long-term damage to the lungs, but again, we simply don't know yet. All right, very good. 651-989-9226. What do they say, doctor? That necessity is the mother of invention. A lot of folks have different ideas about uh, making masks and what to put in, in them. How about, this texter says, inserting coffee filters in there? You know, I love that. Uh, necessity <laughs> is the mother of invention. I, I, I guess I don't know. I don't think you should probably put anything in there because, uh, frankly, it's not so much the um, it's not the aerosolized particles that the masks are trying to keep out. And I'll say a little bit more about that. Um, there's such a thing as dro- uh, as a virus being spread by droplets and one that is spread by aerosol. The difference is this: um, influenza and probably coronavirus is spread by droplets, which means when you cough or you sneeze uh, or even when you talk, um, you have droplets that come out of your mouth, larger particles of larger drops of water that generally fall to the ground or onto surfaces within six feet of you. That's why we're telling people six feet away. The mask that you're wearing, if it's cloth, will stop those particles from going out of your mouth. They'll get stuck in the mask, those droplets of water. That's why it doesn't matter about any filters you put in your homemade masks. Aerosolized are are when it stays in a mist in the air. And certain things are passed through the air, not just droplets, but it floats around in the air. That would be things like tuberculosis does that. Measles does that. We are not sure if coronavirus does that. But if it were, if it were to be aerosolized, floating in the air for longer than we think, what, what you put in that mask is not going to help that situation. So it doesn't probably make a difference. Just a cloth mask. The point is to stop those droplets. If we learn that coronavirus is passed more in the air, 
then we have a whole nother issue that we need to be addressing and the solution won't be to put anything in your masks. I like to tell people droplets are like a little rain shower. They're coming down and, and aerosol is like mist or like fog. We think the coronavirus is passed in the droplets, the rain shower, not the fog. But there's always more to learn, so we'll see what we're seeing in six months after we've learned more, huh? Very good. Uh, Let's go back to the phones, Dr. Jim, I believe, is calling from Isandi this morning. Jim, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, you guys, for your time. Say, I got three quick questions. One is, where did they get the number 19 from? The other one is, ammonia, Any uh, is, is that good for killing germs? And the third one is, I heard, is it true that I heard what I heard about this virus? It was a something that the Chinese developed, the chemist, for future warfare, chemical warfare. Yeah, thanks for your calls. Um, the first one's easy. The 19 stands for the year, 2019. COVID is the name given to the illness, and it stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. It's simply a way um, in in our medical science, we're trying to avoid uh, naming things based on where it was first discovered or, or things like that, because it's not helpful and it leads to misinformation. So we strongly discourage naming things after places or after people. None of that is helpful. That's a thing of the past. Coronavirus disease 2019 is, is maybe a little less um, uh uh, it, it's a little boring sounding, but it's descriptive. Uh, that's the, so that's the 19. The the second ammonia. I don't know that that's a good treatment plan. And what I should say is that um, alcohol based cleaners are good. Bleach works quite well, but you must dilute it. You must dilute a third of a cup of bleach into a gallon of water, and that's a highly effective cleaner. But you can never, never mix bleach with other things, particularly ammonia. That's a deadly combination. Please do not mix bleach with anything except the laundry soap. You can put it in your washer, but don't mix it with anything else. And then warfare, I I think that that's not at all what we're dealing with here. I'm not a geopolitical expert, but I think that uh, this was a naturally occurring problem. It was, I, I I don't have any information that it was anything other than an act of nature. So that's my comments on that. All right. Uh, there's a text wondering, uh, would Benadryl help fight COVID-19 symptoms for a person with allergies and asthma? Not that I'm aware of. A Benadryl or diphenhydramine is an antihistamine, which is highly effective against allergens and people whose immune systems are, are a little on overdrive. That's what allergies are. Uh, I, uh, this is a virus, um, and it, it's not that it, it, the COVID virus, the coronavirus, is not an allergy. It's a true infection, and they're somewhat different. Um, but uh, an interesting thing, I speak from personal experience, this is allergy season for sure. And so many people are having their allergic symptoms, which are not related to this virus, and Benadryl might help those symptoms, uh, it will lead to some sedation. So people should be careful on Benadryl. It does lead to sedation. All right, let's go back to the phones. I believe Mark and Crystal is next up here. Mark, you're on CCO with the doctor. Yes, I have uh, two quick questions. One is I have some of these uh, masks that you normally have gotten in the past that in a little box at the doctor's office and whatnot. And I've been wearing those masks but I, I wonder if you can, like, uh, reuse them by 
uh, dunking them in boiling water or something, because I, I can't imagine that you can just keep wearing those masks. It's a good question. Um, and the ma- all these masks are intended for single use. And there's lots of people trying ways to reuse them. There's people, you know, putting them in surgical sterilization equipment, boiling them, microwaving them, freezing them, using hydrogen peroxide. None of that is thought to be effective. At least we don't know if any of that is effective. So I would, um, since they're intended to keep you from spewing droplets to other people, for people in the community, it is okay to wear uh, the masks um, over and over and over, even in the hospital. We're doing something I never dreamed we would ever do in my career. We are wearing a mask of over and over um, because we simply don't have enough of them. It is not something that I, I can believe I'm even having to say, but we're, I've been using N95 masks, the, the Cadillac of the mask, the one you keep hearing about. I've been wearing those when I see patients with tuberculosis. I've been doing that for 20 years, and I've never got tuberculosis, but I throw the mask away after I see the patient. And so it's um, it's unbelievable to me that in 2020 we're reusing masks, but mm. such is the case. Here is a text uh, before we go back to the phones. My 28-year-old daughter is on day 14 of the virus, the coronavirus. Is she contagious? She has not had a fever for three days. If people are tested positive or presumed positive, we're simply not sure how long you are contagious, but the current... Um, guidelines are if you have had no fever and uh, and, uh, symptoms, primarily fever, for three days, you're probably okay. And the second criteria is or seven days from the onset of your symptoms, whichever is longer. So if it was more than seven days ago since you were tested positive and you have no symptoms, you're probably okay. Or if you were positive and, you, you know, your symptoms have gone away for the last three days, you're probably okay. But um, the, the key word in my last sentence is probably. We're just not sure. So that's the current guidelines. But three days of no symptoms, uh, you're, you're, you're probably okay. All right. Back to the phones we go. I believe John in Maplewood is still uh, waiting in line there. John, you're on with the doctor. Yes, hello. Uh, my question is this. How come some people get it? And don't even know they have it, while others get it and have severe symptoms. John, yeah, yeah, I wish we knew, because if we could predict who's going to get really sick and who's going to get a little nothing, that'd be great. But we just can't be sure. Um, That's why we go by the risk factors, older adults, um, smokers, um, people with diabetes, heart disease, lung disease. We think they're at higher risk. Uh, It's not clear why why that is the case. Uh, your immune system has never seen the virus, so when you get the virus, your own body has to mount an immune system, and how effective your individual body is at doing that probably makes all the difference. So, And younger people's immune systems are a little bit more robust, and so that's why, for instance, they tend to get less ill. They, they get the virus in their nose. Their body says, oh, I've never seen this before. It develops antibodies. It kills off the virus, and they get a little achiness and maybe a little cough and a fever, and then they're fine. Other people, their body says, oh, I've never seen this, and it takes them three weeks to develop those antibodies, and it just their immune system just can't rally to the cause very well. 
And in those three or four weeks, their body starts developing fluid in their lungs and things start to spiral out of control. And so they get um, they get much more seriously ill. And that just happens to be in people who are older and with other chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break. We have a more show to come. Call in your or text in your question for the doctor, 651-989-9226. We should see some sunshine later today. Highs near 56 today. Right now, fair skies, 29 degrees on Newstalk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters here on WCCO. We have callers, Dr. Hilden. We have textures, and uh, we'll probably run out of time before we uh, can get to everybody. So, uh, Let's do that right now. Let's go back to the phones, then we'll pick up on some text messages. Bruce is calling from Minneapolis, I believe. Bruce, you're on with the doctor. Nice to talk to both of you. Uh, I've just been noticing the cultural insensitivity of some people, like the president, like Chinese virus. I'm not going to wear a mask. And it's a totally different era, but the Spanish flu. Like, why do we call it the Spanish flu? It's not the people from Spain's fault. So it's just more of an observation. All right. Yeah, thanks for your call, Bruce. I concur. I think that one of the um, one of the downsides, one of the unfortunate consequences of this pandemic, has been racial insensitivity and prejudice and downright violence to their safety to Chinese Americans and people of Chinese descent. There is literally, there's simply no excuse for that. Uh, this happened to be first found in China, but. You know, H1N1 was a big thing in the United States, and it could happen anywhere. So I would have, I'll just go right out there and say I have zero tolerance for um, any uh, racially or ethnic insensitivities towards any people. If there's one thing that ought to come out of this pandemic, in my opinion, is that we have learned we are a global community. This, This virus simply doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor or you're black or white or if you came from China or from Minneapolis. It is a globe. This is one thing that literally the entire planet is united in fighting. And so I, I would say that we need to it, it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to uh, treat this as a global human family. And so, Bruce, I appreciate those comments. Texter wants to know, doctor, uh, if, if there is a, an answer to this, at what high and low temperature does the COVID-19 virus die? You know, I don't know. Uh, one thing I'll always tell you of Minnesota and, and everyone listening around the world is if I don't know, I don't know. And so that would be one of them. Uh, there is some suggestion that the virus is killed by ultraviolet light of the sun or under ultraviolet um, uh, lights. Um, probably boiling it gets rid of it. And, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, of um, temperature extremes that probably are helpful. I just don't know what they are. Very good. Let's go back to the phones. I think May's calling from Coon Rapids. May, you're on the CCO with the doctor. Yes, I'm just wondering. You keep saying do not touch your eyes and your nose. My eyes and nose are both very itchy, and the roof of my mouth seems to be very, you know, quite sore. And I'm just wondering if these, and I have a very, very slight temperature, and I'm just wondering if these are any signs that I should be concerned about. Great question, May. Um, if you if you have a, if you're not coughing and you don't have body aches um, and you're generally doing okay, but you just have some mild symptoms such as you're suggesting, I would simply monitor them. In other words, keep an eye on it. Don't don't um, don't get too worried about them. 
but really do keep an eye on it. And, and if you develop a persistent fever or a cough with that fever, um, particularly with body aches, that's what sort of distinguishes this from the cold or allergies. A fever with body aches and a cough where you just feel lethargic, that would not be a common cold. That would not be uh, allergies. All over body aches and lethargy is not a common cold. Um, so then that's when you should be a little bit more concerned. If it is accompanied by shortness of breath, you're having trouble catching your breath, that would be a more concern, and I would encourage you to call uh, your doctor or seek care in that case. A little scratchiness in your throat, a little mild fever, you can just monitor those symptoms and see if uh, they, they persist. We'll grab some more calls here, but a texter wants to know, it says this, I own a hardware store and are open. Should my employees wear a mask all day? I see that at a lot of uh, the few retail stores, places I've been to in the last week. They're all wearing masks. I would encourage them to, um, simply because we're encouraging pretty much everybody out in the community to wear a mask. Again, the hardware store employees, grocery stores, your, your employee, your good people at Target, the people who work for UPS, uh, all of those folks, it is probably not going to protect them very much. Um, wearing a mask, again, doesn't probably protect the wearer, but it does pre- uh, it, it is effective at reducing the spread. The person wearing it is not likely to spread it to others. So that person at the in the hardware store who is helping people in that essential function, and thank you to all of you, in order to prevent the spread, it's probably a good idea for them to wear a homemade mask. Not a medical-grade mask, just a homemade one. All right. Let's grab another call before we leave you today. Uh, Bruce is calling from North Branch, I believe. Uh, Bruce, uh, good morning. You're on CCO with the doctor. How about Ken and Blaine? Hi, Ken. Good, good morning. Uh, I was wondering about... Uh, a week ago, I started with cough and a little bit of shortness of breath. I've been monitoring my oxygen, and it's been at the low 90s. And also, I have never had a fever. I check my temperature several times a day, and it's actually been between 97 and 98. And uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about symptoms. I've heard so much about different symptoms, like uh, can't taste, or you lose your taste, you lose your smell. Um, you have diarrhea. I mean, there's just a whole list of them. Indeed, there are. Thank you for that. Uh, the, the loss of taste and smell seems to be kind of a common uh, uh, presentation, so I think that there might be something to that. Uh, the, 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 the symptoms that are most common, again, are fever, lethargy, cough, and shortness of breath. That doesn't mean that you couldn't have um, some other kind of milder or, or other symptoms. People can get a headache. A minority of people can get diarrhea, but it is possible. It's just it's not the most prominent thing, these other symptoms. Uh, your uh, measuring of your oxygen at being low, though, is not uh, normal. And if you are a smoker or you have emphysema, you might always have low oxygen levels. But ni- the low 90s is, is, a, is a little low. Uh, not dangerous yet, but not normal. Um, for the for listeners, 100% is normal. This is a percentage of oxygen, and 100% would be normal. Um, anything above 88% is acceptable, but if you're dropping to the low 90s, that is something you might wish to call your doctor about. If you're having some kind of oddball symptoms and your oxygen levels are dropping, 
and if you're monitoring that at home, I would call your doctor about that. If you're getting more short of breath with those low oxygen levels, I would encourage you to seek care. Well, Dr. Hilden, we have uh, a little over 60 seconds to go in the show today, but maybe for those that may have missed the the website that you uh, mentioned a couple times earlier, you could do that. Absolutely. Absolutely, Denny. Three things I want you to go to or I invite you to go to. Number one, you can follow me on Twitter. Another dozen people have done so in the last 20 minutes. It's Dr. David Hilden. That is my Twitter account. All one word, Dr. David Hilden, if you want to get little quick updates. Secondly, go to hennepinhealthcare.org for a host of things you can do, including how to donate masks, how to make masks. You can even watch a video on how to make masks, where to donate those masks, how to donate money, how to leave a thank you note. That is all at hennepinhealthcare.org. And then lastly, my blog is back up and running. I'm doing a little diary from a pandemic. That is at myhealthymatters.org. Three things you can do. Follow me on Twitter. Go to myhealthymatters.org for my personal musings and hennepinhealthcare.org for a host of information. In about 15 seconds, we have another special show next week, don't we? We do. I'm going to have my colleague and friend, Dr. Caitlin Echols-Radke, is going to join me to talk more about where we are with the COVID pandemic. All right. Very good. Thank you. Have a good week, Dr. Hilden. We'll talk to you next uh, Sunday morning here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Sunny skies later today near 56 for a daytime high. Right now, this Sunday morning, skies are fair, 29 degrees.